1: Or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. The numbers told the story they always do. This
2: is a numbers game with Gil Alexander on v It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics.
3: It is a numbers game here on v Happy to be with you here on a Tuesday morning. I'm Jeff Parles. Why, Tom Check is here as well. And now with us, we're going to just dive right in. One of my favorites here in the baseball industry. Our guy, Dan Zimborski. Find his work on Fangraphs and on ESPN. He also created Zips. He's a he's pretty smart guy. Pretty smart guy, uh, for sure. Dan, pleasure as always. Uh, good to talk to you this morning.
2: Always good to get a chance to speak with you, Jeff.
3: So, so Dan, I just want to get your quick thoughts. Home run derby last night. Juan Soto beats Julio Rodriguez. But more importantly... The conquering hero, Albert poules actually won a round, which was probably the most. Dan, to me, like, again, we the home run derby, always we get some weird things. That was the most surprising result I can remember since moving to this new format for the home run derby was Pools actually winning a round, even though, again, maybe it's some weird counting on Kyle Schwarber's amount of homers.
2: Yeah, they apparently the counting system is adding numbers, you know, one at a time as was a little difficult for the tracker. Uh I as a as a fellow 40 something to holes, I totally commiserated with him because when he saw him, I think he expected to lose. When he saw a tie, he had a look in his face like, oh, "I'm gonna, I have to stand up again." <laughs> man.
3: No, it's tr- it's true. It's just like especially well, first off, <laughs> Dan, first off, it looked like uh Albert Albert looked up uh, Looked like me, me after basically running a mile after the uh, the first round. He looked completely out of it. Uh, but like you said, it's like, oh, man, I, I have to get back up. But he did win. And then Soto took care of him in the second round. And then Soto went on to beat Julio Rodriguez, who had the most homers of the night last night. But uh, not enough to get the Derby championship. Uh, Dan, uh, all-star game tonight. Uh, do you have any thoughts? Do, do, do you do you have any uh, a- anything in your numbers that could possibly trigger a bet for anyone? Or is this just one of those, like, you know what? It's an exhibition. I'm just taking the night off and enjoying watch, watching all these All-Stars just play.
2: Really, that's the best approach to the All-Star game because it's, it's not played like a real game of baseball. It's played like like one of those ensemble comedy movies where you have a cast of, like, 75 people who are recognizable and everybody has to kind of show up and give their one-liner and and, and shuffle off. It's it's kind of a hard thing to bet because it's just, you know, uh, uh, I was thinking of a word that was actually an expletive, but uh, (laughs) it's kind of a mess. Uh, To to me, the All-Star game is kind of the least interesting part of All-Star week, as, as weird as that sounds.
3: Why? Why is that? It's just because the other the other events are more entertaining. Or we're actually, in all honesty, at this point, finding out who the starting pitchers
2: are, are almost as entertaining. <laughs> well, it well the home run derby is. I mean, it's an exhibition, but it's a real fun one. And and players seem even more into it than the game itself. I love the futures game. Uh, even the celebrity softball game. I mean, it's nonsense, but it's amusing nonsense. Uh, and then we get the All Star Game, which you know. There's no real stakes involved. Uh, everybody just plays a little bit and it just walks off. It's it's just not as fun for me, and I I never like betting on something I don't enjoy as much as other things.
3: No, I, I I understand I understand what you're saying on that, uh, Dan. Before we get to the second half here, of course, uh, we mentioned Juan Soto, of course, winning the home run derby, but then the news that the Nats are willing to at least listen to offers and potentially trade Juan Soto. He's not Dan. It is very rare that any player like this would even become available via trade. What would it take for you to get a, a even remotely close package to what Juan Soto is actually worth here?
2: You will probably have to give up a good chunk of your top prospects to the system. Like if the Orioles acquired him, they'd probably have to give up Gunnar Henderson. And Grayson Rodriguez. Uh, I don't think the Orioles are going to, but that's the kind of package you're going to have to offer the Mets. Now it's not going to be unlimited because, of course, the Mookie Betts for one year wasn't unlimited either. Uh, so if people think they're going to get an entire farm system out of it, that's probably a little unrealistic. Uh, but it's, there are so many teams that would benefit from Soto because he's he's just such an amazing hitter, even in kind of a down season for him. His numbers are terrific.
3: This is just the best natural hitter in the game, basically, at this point for Soto. And look, there are only probably a handful of teams that have farm systems and the willingness to pay a guy $500 million. Really, really only four, I I would say. The two New York teams, the Padres and the the Dodgers would be the four that I think could realistically get in the mix for Soto. But again, uh, who knows if he goes by the August 2nd trade deadline. Dan, just uh, just looking at the first half as a whole, just uh, I'll open the floor up to you very broadly here. What team defied your preseason numbers the most so far?
2: Well, I think you can actually say it's the Yankees, not because I didn't project them to be good, but I didn't project them to be this dominant. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, their pace has slowed down a little, but they're 64-28 and 28 now. They're on pace to have, you know, 110-ish wins, uh, it's it's a team that has held together better than I thought. Uh, the pitching has stayed healthy, which is one of the kind of the key factors for the Yankees because they've basically been able to start their five desired pitchers all year. They've only had three starts from other pitchers from uh, Clark and J.P. Sears. And that kind of health, it was, it was kind of a key for the Yankees because once you start getting injuries, their quality for like starters six through eight drop off considerably. So the Yankees, I mean have been extremely impressive. Uh, and I think on the negative standpoint, uh, I guess the Angels now are worse than I expected. For For almost a month and a half, they were a lot better than I expected, but the collapse has just been so notable. Uh, even with Trout and Otani having just monster seasons, it's, it, it, you really feel like there's an ownership change that needs to happen for the Angels to get anywhere. Something something needs to
3: happen with them because, I mean, you have this era's Babe Ruth and Otani. Trout, who has dealt with some injuries and just went on the I.L. again, is having, having a really good year as well. The obvious all-star starter yet again for Trout, uh, but again, hasn't mattered for the Angels uh, that just that 17-game losing streak really derailed all the good magic they had the first six weeks of the season. Dan Zaborski is with us. He's a fan, Graphs and of ESPN as well, the creator of Zip's. Dan with us right now. Dan, just I, since you brought up the Angels, and, and this is a, a common debate on this network, AL MVP right now. Shohei Ohtani is your betting favorite of most shops. I bet MGM is minus 105. Aaron Judge is your second favorite, plus 150, plus 160 pocket on Aaron Judge. If you were voting today, who gets your vote?
2: It has to be Ohtani. Uh, I mean, Judge is having the better offensive season. But O'Connor also a pitcher, and that's a hard thing to, to, to counteract because, you know, everybody plays defense, but, you know, the, the de facto defense of being a pitcher with an ERA under 2.5 in 15 starts, uh, you know, striking out nearly 13 guys a game, that is a, that's like the best offensive hitter in, in baseball history. Uh, I, it's, it would be really, really hard for me to, have an ex- to think of any logical excuse other than, you know, blaming him for the Angels, which is hardly his fault, which is a weird way to vote for me. I don't really consider that. Uh, so, yeah, he would be my pick. It's, it's just, I, I don't know how to say otherwise.
3: What are the chances you give Otani to win both the MVP and the Cy Young, then?
2: Oh, that that would be fun, because that's, it's, it's a real hard thing to do. We've had kind of those things before when, when pictures get the MVP, but I'd love to see him get that, and, you know, the silver slugger, too, and just give him give him all the hardware. He he has to play for
3: the Angels. He needs it. He needs it. Dan Zimborski with us right now. Dan, just the NL side, NL awards real quick. Paul Goldschmidt's the betting favorite. Odds on, minus 110 in the MVP race. Sandy Alcantara, odds on right now, minus 105 in the Cy Young race. If it's not both of those guys in those two races, who would it be?
2: I think right now, uh, if the if if the season was over, uh, I'd, I'd actually probably vote for Nolan Arenado. Okay. I think He's, I mean, he's he isn't quite contributing as much offensively as Goldschmidt, but he's also, you know, a, a terrific defensive third baseman, and that I kind of think is a very underrated position uh, defensively uh, at the major league level because if you look at it. Uh, the, the spread of defensive performances among third basemen is actually one of the highest of any position. Uh, that kind of suggests that uh, one, one of those tweener positions, kind of in the middle of the defensive spectrum, isn't quite you know as valued as it should be sometimes. And uh, you kind of see that through baseball history. There's kind of a, a clash between the, the the stone-handed third baseman and the, and the glove guy. Uh, so I think Arenado would by here, hair get my MVP. I'd probably go Arenado, Machado, Goldschmidt. Then maybe Swanson, uh, but I don't have that ballot yet,
3: so we'll see. Swanson, you're the first person to mention Dansby Swanson. I I think I'm I'm banging the drum for Austin Riley here, uh, and that would almost be an emotional hedge for me because that would probably mean the Braves will have caught the Mets in that regard. Uh, Riley, who was as high as seventy to one about three and a half weeks ago, is now fourteen to one at BetMGM. Dan, all right, we got about a minute. I know it's a, it's hard to put you on the spot here on July 19th, but right now, if I made you say, "All right, Dan, who's playing for it all in October?" you would say
2: the very boring Dodgers Yankees, which oh, you've seen before. On. But I think, yeah, I, 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 I'd like it to be, you know, Orioles Padres. That would be fun. I, but I, don't bet that. No, no,
3: don't don't bet don't don't bet that. I, you you and I agree. You know, it's 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 interesting, Dan, because. There is such, for me, there's such a divide between the top five teams and everyone else. Uh, the Mets, the Braves, the Dodgers, the Astros, and the Yankees. No particular order on those five, but look, uh, getting a Yankees-Dodgers World Series would make a lot of sense, and the Dodgers-Astros World Series, I think, to me, the two most logical scenarios that we are going to get at this point, but he's Dan Zimborski. Get him on the tweets at his name, at DZimborski, is where you find him on Twitter. You can find his great work at Fangraphs and ESPN.com as well. Dan, Pleasure as always. Thanks for being with us this morning. Always fun. Thanks for having me. Of course. Dan Zimborski, everyone. We are going to the Great White North, Minnesota. The Vikings preview next on a numbers game.
1: numbers game with Gil Alexander
3: on v the sports betting network. The v summer special is live for just $19. You get everything we do here at v from now through the end of July. Sign up today. You'll get daily best bets from v including Adam Burke's MLB best bets, NFL preseason coverage, premium articles on golf, UFC, and NASCAR as well. You want the v VSIN experience? features features Daily Best Bets email, every edition of Points Spread Weekly, use of our betting tools, and a live video stream whenever you want it. The cost is just $19 to be a subscriber to July 31st. Sign up now, vston.com slash summer, where you take advantage of this great offer. It's a numbers game here on Vsin. Happy to be with you. I'm Jeff Parles. He is Wyatt Tomchek. Shout out to the crew as well. Matt, Jeff, Dakota. Doing fine work. Shout out to Matt Hicks as well. I buried his bears this morning. So just an extra shout out to uh, our, man, our technical director.
4: Double work. And we just said, yeah, the Bears, worst team in the
3: NFC. Yeah, just, just burying his oh. Bears earlier in the show. Danny Burke's going to be with us next segment. So about about 13 minutes time from now, uh, 8.30 uh, Pacific, 11.30 Eastern for Danny Burke. We'll see if he buries the Bears as well. Uh, of course, a uh, host of Rush Hour in the Chicago CityCast here at the network. But let's go to the Vikings. Now, the Vikings are this ne- are the next team. They are the highest variance team in the entire NFL for me this year, because you have a new head coach and Kevin O'Connell comes over from the Rams. Mike Zimmer was so done by the end. It just it's funny because Mike Zimmer's just the way that his career path went as a head coach. I thought Mike Zimmer was a very good head coach for a good portion of his tenure in Minnesota. The game just, it was just one of those where the game, as soon as it passed him by, it passed him by quickly. And the last three years, you made the playoffs in 2019, you won a playoff game. Actually won a playoff game in New Orleans before getting stomped in San Francisco. And in the last two years were big-time disappointments. Big-time disappointments the last two years. Honestly, of the four years with Kirk Cousins now, three of them have been massive disappointments. No playoffs in three of the four. Minnesota's win totals eight and a half, minus one is 165 on the over. Unders plus 140 at Ben MGM. I'm a little surprised by this. I expected the yes to be favored and then make the playoffs market. The minus 105, there are even some even money out there. No, minus 115 at Ben MGM. Plus 260 to win the North, 18 to 1 to win the NFC Championship, 40 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. They're not in that level of competition just yet. But looking at their schedule, I want to hit their schedule real quick. Because they have a very early London game this year. Week four against New Orleans is in London. Which, by the way, how did the Saints allow the league to take away a home game from them? I know Green Bay kind of had no choice because they haven't been over to London yet. But well, that seems kind of silly that New Orleans was okay with losing a game that, quite frankly, if you're higher in New Orleans, that could be a very important game to a playoff spot. Minnesota's schedule, and again, the NFC North crossing with the AFC East, very good draw. Crossing with the NFC East, even better draw. They also get the extra game against the AFC, against the AFC South, which is good as well. Minnesota's schedule is funky. Because there are a few stretches that are kind of like the Bears schedule. Where I would argue week three through week six. Especially with that game in London against New Orleans. They should win all four of those games if they are any good. You should beat Detroit and Chicago in your building. should be able to go on the road to Miami and win that game. And a neutral side against New Orleans. I would imagine that Minnesota probably be a small favorite in that game. With that game being in London but we'll have to see what happens the first 3 weeks. But then you have a few other difficult stretches. The 3 week stretch from 10 to week 10 to week 12 at Buffalo, Dallas and New England which by the way, New England at Minnesota being the Thursday night game on Thanksgiving is an odd choice. <laughs> Very odd choice. But that is that's a tough three game stretch for them. This is the hardest team going into the season that I have the handicap. Even with that said, I am more than likely going to have a Minnesota to make the playoff ticket in my pocket by the time the season starts. Because you have a top three running back in Dalvin Cook, a top six wide receiver, maybe even higher in Justin Jefferson. You have as good of a number two as there is in the NFL in Adam Thielen, even though he has gone backwards a little bit. And for all the flack that Kirk Cousins has gotten throughout his career, Kirk Cousins is well above league average at this point. And for Minnesota, with a new look offense, and this is part of the reason I'm a little more tepid on firing on Minnesota bets here is because I don't know what we're getting a head coach. I don't know. It's really difficult to figure out what Kevin O'Connell's going to be right away. Is he going to be like Sean McVay, who immediately flipped the switch in L.A.? Or is he going to be a coach who takes a little bit of while to find his legs? And it's a little bit of a struggle in year one. It is really difficult. And I don't think they've done enough defensively to really consider that defense fully improved from what it's been. And Donatel's the new defensive coordinator. this is the widest variance you can get with a team now there are other bettable markets out there where if you think minnesota is going to take the quantum leap on offense because of having an offensive coordinator that's actually in the 21st century having a co- head coach that is willing to do new things actually go ahead for <laughs> go ahead and uh, and actually go forward instead of trying to run an archaic offense like Minnesota has the last few years. Minnesota to be the highest scoring team in the NFL would be something I would consider. Now, it might be a little bit of a stretch, but it would not shock me if Minnesota has a massive offensive season. Vikings 20-1 to in that market. Probably not enough, but if you are if you get in the category, if you can find a 25 potentially, I would look at that. And also, too, I'm not fully convinced of that defense, so I would – you could end up needing big numbers from Cousins and company. Speaking of numbers for Cousins, player props. Cousins at 4,200 yards and a half passing on the prop. 31 and a half touchdown passes, 10 and a half interceptions thrown. Cousins doesn't throw as many interceptions as we think. I know he has the the moniker of being a big interception throw. That's not correct. Can't bet that. 4,200 yards feels about right for what Kirk Cousins is going to do in a 17-game schedule. Cousins last year, 4,221. The year before that, remember one last game, 4,265. Through 13 picks in 2020. The other years in Minnesota, he went under that 10 and a half, by the way. Seven last year, six in 2019, 10 in 2018. So he's not the huge interception thrower that he was his final three years in Washington. And even those numbers weren't that big. 13, 12, 11, his last three years in Washington. Dalvin Cook, it's just a matter of staying healthy for Dalvin Cook. 1,150 and a half feels light, but I don't trust Alvin Cook to play a full season at this point without missing a game or two, and in this era of the NFL it is hard to get to that number, regardless of how good you are. Nine and a half rushing touchdowns, that would be a consideration on the over. The defensive guys, Daniel Hunter, 11 and a half, oh, excuse me, 11 and a quarter sacks, I like that over. Sidarius Smith, 10 and a quarter sacks, I would stay off. Stay off of that. Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen. Look, Justin Jefferson is a stud. 1350, so 1,350 and a half on Justin Jefferson. That is about right. That is about what I would make it. His first two years, he went over both of those. Went 1,400 in his rookie year, 1,616 last year. He is such a good player. I'd rather have, if you're going to bet overs, I would rather have Je- Jefferson-related overs than Thielen-related overs. 750.5 receiving yards for Thielen, 69.5 reception, 7.5 receiving touchdowns. Doesn't 750.5 feel a little light? It feels a little light. I, I, I'm not going to bet it because Thielen had a bunch of leg issues last year, and that is hard to get over as a wide receiver. But that feels a little light if Thielen can play 15 games even maybe even 16 to get over that 750. Why does variance on the board for Minnesota. It would not shock me. Minnesota underachieves and go seven and 10 would not shock me. Minnesota wins the NFC North, but I think I'm probably not going to be able to have the discipline on this one. I'm probably going to end up taking a yes to make the playoffs on Minnesota and not mess around with a window or anything. Cause nine and eight, eight and nine never know eight, and nine may get you in as a seventh wild card. In the NFC. Danny Burke, coming your way next. He joins us to talk NFC North here on a numbers game on VSIN.
0: A numbers game with Gil Alexander on
1: VSIN, the sports betting network.
3: Back on a numbers game here on VSIN, I'm Jeff Parles, and for Gil Alexander, Wyatt Check is here as well. But now with us, he hosts Rush Hour here on this network, 6 o'clock. Eastern time, Monday through Friday from the city of Chicago. It is our guy, Danny Burke. Good morning, Danny.
5: Good morning, Jeff. How you doing, my man?
3: Good. Uh, I, I just uh, want to ask you real quick, because I know you weren't too pleased. What happened to your guy, Schwarber, yesterday? What was that? <laughs>
5: dude, tell me that wasn't rigged. I mean, there were so (laughs) many things about that that were just awful. First of all, you just saw Schwarber's poor performance. And I was saying on the Chicago city cast when I was just recording it, I was like, that would have been like me if I was out there, of course, with different dimensions on the field to where I could actually hit home runs. But then I would have tired out after like five of them because he just kept hitting grounders and low liners. And then his pitcher was just all over the place, taking his time, acting like it was no big deal. And then now you have the controversy of the stack has for ESPN, now counting that 20th home run to which the way Carl Ravitch was saying it, I kind of thought the same thing because that last one, I thought that was tying it and uh, whoever else was on the broadcast was like, ah, maybe not, maybe not for pool host advancing. And then they just gave him 19. So I, uh, that was all over the place. I was pretty frustrated, but I did end up getting a little piece of Soto. So uh made some money back, but man, that was, that was tough to see out of Schwartz for sure.
3: Yeah. The, the, the Soto, it, it, it's funny the way that the, the in-game matchups were priced last night, there were some really juicy opportunities where Soto going into the final against Julio Rodriguez ended up being mm-hmm. plus two fifty. That's wow. om- like, it was almost, it was half the price with only having to win one, one matchup as opposed to what it was when it closed the most spots. There were a lot of interesting betting opportunities last night. Of course, Juan Soto winning the home run derby. All right, Danny, it's NFC North day, but we got to start with the team in your city team. You cover the most, the Chicago bears. I already said they that they're going to finish last in this division. They have not built the roster properly around Justin Fields here in year two. And Danny, it's just more than anything. Forget the defense for a second. Who's going to actually be the guy that Justin Fields can rely on offensively. The bears just don't have anyone.
5: Well, look, I I completely get that assessment by a lot of people looking at the grand scheme of things for this bears team. But I think you have to look at it in the sense of how they're going to improve because last year, I mean, Allen Robinson didn't even exist on this team and you losing him does not hurt you whatsoever. If anything, even though they're not brand name recognition type of guys, their offense is going to get better. So you have Darnell Mooney who took a step up last year because he needed to, if he can replicate that or get even better, that's great. Uh, then you get Vela's Jones Jr. out of Tennessee in the draft unknown, of course, but he's got a big body frame and he was one of the older guys coming out of the draft. So maybe he's more mature experience, whatever kind of positive attributions you want to have for him. Uh, you got Byron Pringle, one of the fastest guys in the national football league. And then you just picked up and Keel Harry who, Hey, maybe will benefit from a new scenery, right? I know he can be a red zone threat and I know he's also dropped a lot of easy passes, but he was a first round pick and had a lot of skill and versatility. So maybe he can kind of get things going in, in a, in a new setting with Chicago. So you got some of those receivers You still have Cole Komet, who this has to be his year. You see the potential there, but he hasn't gotten those looks on a consistent basis. That's where the new offense comes into mind with Luke Getze as opposed to Matt Nagy. Uh, In the backfield, he's still got Khalil Herbert. You still got David Montgomery, both very, very solid running backs. Montgomery's been one. Herbert emerged into one when Montgomery was injured last season. And then you talk about the offensive line. I I just think it's impossible for them to get any worse than they were last year. Justin Fields was fighting for his survival on every other play. So they drafted in the offensive line, you know, they picked up some guys, hopefully they can stay healthier and that will give Justin Fields some more comfort. But the thing also, Jeff, the most important thing about it, is just having competency with that coaching staff. I Mm -hmm. mean, Matt Nagy was beyond atrocious. That play calling was horrendous. It was so bad to where people look at Justin Fields and goes, man, I don't know if I can trust this guy. He's still an unknown. But if you really watched every snap out of last season, you realize, how poorly he was set up. And the fact that he was able to still make some of those great throws that he had was beyond a miracle. So I honestly think their offense will take a step forward and they don't have the worst schedule. They actually have a very favorable schedule. I'm not saying that they're not going to be the worst team in the division or that they're going to cruise over six and a half wins and be competing for a playoff spot. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that they will be a lot more competitive. The offense will take a big step forward. I don't think they're going to be as terrible as a lot of people are perceiving them to be because there's no way they can be set up for as much failure as they were under Matt Nagy last year.
3: You know, Danny, the one, the one big concern that, that I'll counter what you're just saying with is we, we really don't know with the coaching staff, it, it could be one of those situations where, yeah, Matt Nagy was, was really not good, but they could end up with a coaching staff that is equally as bad or maybe even worse. We are talking about a guy with Lou Getze who's never called plays before calling plays. Matt Eberflus has never been a head coach. Danny, that's my concern here is a first-year coaching staff may very well be equal or worse
5: than what Nagy was last year. Hey, you're not wrong. And that's a legitimate concern as well. But I think at least personally as a bears fan, we only have one option to think about it. And that's uh, that it can't get any worse. And you know where the bar has been set. So if they're equal to that or lower then I just give up on everything, but no, you're right. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I just look at this and I think if there is a chance for them to give us some hope, I think the schedule really pans out well for them too. I mean, look, you get the Texans at home on the road, you're going to the Jets and the Giants. Yeah, they're, I guess on paper better than you, but you know, those are still two beatable teams. You get Carson Wentz at home. I don't like Carson Wentz whatsoever. Uh, Even Miami. I know Miami, again, a better team on paper, but I don't necessarily, I wouldn't want to take two over Justin Fields right now. I'll say that. And I think a decent amount of people could agree with that, not based on the weapons, but just based on pure talent. I think the ceiling's higher for Justin Fields based on skill as at this moment, because again, we still don't know how high Justin Fields can take it. So there are some decent spots for the Bears this year to where they can, like I said, at least be competitive, maybe cover the spread more so than just winning outright.
3: Nah, they look, they have, they have two, four game stretches where if they somehow go five and three or even six and two. If you have an under bet at six and a half, you're probably going to be in trouble. And there are mm-hmm. winnable games in that week three through six and week nine through 12, including uh, the two games in the Meadowlands, the Lions at home, along with the commanders and the Texans at home in those stretches for the Bears. Danny, I, we just talked about Minnesota in the last segment. They're the team that has the that I think has the highest variance in the entire mm-hmm. NFL, where if their first-year head coach and Kevin O'Connell underachieves, and it's more of the same of what we saw the last few years in Minnesota, they can end up going under that win total, ending up under 500 yet again. Or if O'Connell is like, uh, able to catch lightning in a bottle like Sean McVay did in L.A., Maybe Minnesota wins the NFC North and has a chance to make a run in the postseason. What what side of the coin would you lean towards? That O'Connell's more uh, able to able to handle the moment, or he's unable to handle the moment?
5: I think I would go with the former. I like Kevin O'Connell a lot in this spot because, like you were saying with Iberflus, yeah, there's. Not a lot of trust that you have with these new coaching staffs that don't have that much experience. But Kevin O'Connell, being offensive-minded, which is different from Zimmer, inheriting a great offense, being Dalvin Cook, Mattinson, KJ Osborne's merging as a good receiver, Thielen and Jefferson. You're kind of a tight end away, but otherwise, you have an amazing offense with a serviceable quarterback and Kirk Cousins. Kevin O'Connell's really set up for success as long as he's just not a knucklehead. But that's asking a lot out of Minnesota teams, right? But uh, I took Kevin O'Connell, coach Of the year at 20 to 1, and I took the Vikings over 8.5 wins at minus 130. The over 9 was minus 118, so I'm like, yeah, I'll lay 12 cents more to get the 8.5 because, again, you look at this team with all the potential that they have, all you need is their coaching staff to also not be as bad as the last one. And being an offensive minded coach helps a ton going into Minnesota. I mean, you heard the rumors that what? I mean, you know, Zimmer didn't like Kirk Cousins, and we give Kirk Cousins a a lot of crap but honestly this guy can be great in some given situations and with the packers presumably taking a step back the lions maybe being a little bit more competitive and we just talked about the bears not having high expectations this seems like it has to be the year for minnesota they don't have the most difficult schedule themselves either jeff when mm-hmm. i kind of categorize looking at these games i do winnable losable and toss up games I have two losable games, that being week 10 at Buffalo, week 17 at Green Bay. The rest of the games to me are winnable for Minnesota or 50-50 spots. I put them at 10-7 and seven or 11-6. Very high on the Vikings this year. I feel like we say it a lot of times, but again, this has to be the year for them. So I like O'Connell coach of the year. He set up nice, and same with the Vikings to go over their win total.
3: D- Danny, we have about 40 seconds here with that. Do you still think Green Bay Holds on to the division crown or you have Minnesota with 11 wins. Is that going to be enough for Minnesota to steal the crown?
5: You know, Aaron Rodgers being Aaron Rodgers is always seemingly going to find a way to be at the top. But if you ask me just purely based off the price, Jeff, like minus 185 versus like a plus 250 or plus 275, you have to go with Minnesota there, right? I mean, you Mm -hmm. don't want to lay that much with Rodgers having to develop these new relationships. Uh, Their offensive line may take a step back. Their defense is always a question mark. So, yeah, I got to lean Minnesota because of the price.
3: He's Danny Burke. You can find him later on the network. 6 o'clock Eastern time, the host of Rush Hour out of the city of Chicago uh, Chicago CityCast as well for Danny. Danny, always a pleasure, man. Uh, We'll we'll catch up soon.
5: Absolutely. Jeff, you're the man. Take care.
3: Of course. Thanks to Danny Burke for being with us today. The Detroit Lions preview coming your way next here on a numbers game.
4: Check out Point Game with John Wall and C.J. Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hey, That's be my, my game!
2: <laughs>
1: A numbers game with Gil Alexander on v the sports betting
0: network.
3: BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks, unleashes the spirit of Las Vegas with BetMGM Rewards every time you make a wager at betmgm you can earn betmgm rewards points that you can redeem for online bonus credit like free bets and risk-free tokens planning a trip to vegas you can also convert your betmgm points into mgm rewards points that you can use towards dining shows and hotel rooms at over 20 mgm resorts properties located on the las vegas strip and nationwide betmgm rewards sports betting's premier loyalty program featuring exclusive offers incredible experiences and valuable perks when you wager on the BetMGM app. So sign up with BetMGM or log on today to get an even bigger piece of the action with BetMGM rewards. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. You must be 21 or older to place a wager. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER and please gamble responsibly. It is a numbers game here on vsin Happy to be with you this morning. I'm Jeff Parles in for Gil Alexander, Wyatt Tom Check in my usual chair. We uh, will get to the conclusion of the NFC North here, with the the team that I again. There are some teams that you just can't get over, what their reputation is as a whole. And the Detroit Lions are in that category of of just being a perennial loser, a team that last year won three games, three thirteen of one season but a team that at least is culturally speaking has moved in the right direction. At least it seemed like it last year where Dan Campbell comes flying in with, with the, the biting kneecaps remark, And it's like, all right, this guy's going to be a clown. It's going to be one and done. But for winning three games, Detroit stayed in a lot of these games. But the problem is they also got blown out in a lot of games. The Philadelphia game, the Cincinnati game are the two that stand out for sure. Where they were three and a half point home underdogs in both of those games got blown out games were done in the first quarter. For this year, though, Detroit's win total is six and a half, which is the same as Chicago. Plus 375 to make the playoffs, minus 500 on the no. Plus 850 to win the north. That is down. That is taking money. That was 11 to 1, 10 to 1 earlier at BetMGM. MGM. It's now plus five eight or eight, 850, I should say. 850 on Detroit. 50 to 1 on the NFC Championship game, champion. 125 to one to win it all. Don't bet those. Don't bet the NFC championship. Don't bet the Super Bowl. They're not good enough. Don't do that. So really what the betting question for Detroit is, and we we talked about this a little bit earlier with Drew Dinsick, how do you evaluate Jared Goff? Because if you think Jared Goff is in a mid-tier as opposed to bottom-tier NFL starting quarterback, then Detroit going over 6.5 makes a lot of sense. Because if you look at Detroit's schedule, there are winnable games the first five weeks of the season. They have a very early bye. They have a week six bye. They open the season at home against Philadelphia. We're going to learn a lot in that game. By the way, the Eagles will take money. That's just the way it's going to go in all likelihood. They play the Commanders week two at home. I am very low on the Commanders, as we said yesterday. have them finishing last in the NFC East. It's a game that if Detroit is competitive against Philadelphia and Washington loses against Jacksonville, Detroit should be favored. Week three at Minnesota. We talked about it two segments ago. The Vikings, high variance. You don't know what you're getting on a weekly basis from them. Get some weird results in that. They get Seattle week four. We'll have the NFC West on Thursday. Very low on Seattle this year. The whole market is low, obviously. No Russell Wilson anymore a defense that isn't good, and Pete Carroll is still there for some reason. At at New England week five, I don't think it's impossible that if things go right, Detroit could pull a big upset there. But more than likely, if you're Detroit, and you're a Detroit backer of an over six and a half or a bloated number to win the division or make the playoffs, you are going to learn very quickly what you're getting out of this team. If they start one and four, you're not winning your bets in all likelihood because after that first five game stretch, yeah, their schedule isn't overly difficult to get the bears twice after the bye, They get a home game against Jacksonville. They go on the road to the jets and Carolina who could be, and the giants as well, could be three of the worst teams in the league potentially yet again. But if you, if you are going to win an over six and a half on a win total, if you're going to win a big bloated price to make the playoffs. The Lions need to start two and three at a minimum in those five games. They have to get two of those first five wide. If they don't, you're probably looking at a longer season. And the interesting thing will be, remember, a lot of these books throw up alternate win totals during the season. The in-play season win total. If Detroit gets off to a hot start, you may be able to try to middle that because let's say they get off three and two, okay? Three and one, actually. go you know, three and one through a month. That number is going to be seven and a half, maybe even eight and a half with heavy juice on the under. I would go for a two-wit middle if you can get a heavy juice under eight and a half. I don't see how they get to over 500. Even with the schedule not being the strongest, this team is not quite there yet. They had a good draft. They got Jamison Williams. I'm curious to see when we see him, because that will be when the offense takes an extra step. Now, the problem with that is, of course, the easy stretch, as we said, is to open the season. They have an offensive line that I actually think is quite good. They have a defense that I'm still not all the way there on, but they are going to be better than they were a year ago. I can see why some think Detroit is a good overplay on the win total. I see that. I understand that. What I do not understand is taking a price that's sub-10 to 1 to win the division. I don't see that. I don't see them winning the division. I think there's just too many. The the Packers are still too far in front of them. And the Vikings, again, the high-variance Vikings, if the variance is right on Minnesota, Minnesota will be significantly better on Detroit. I would not bet plus 850 on the Lions. I think that's too short.
4: I was going to ask you, Jeff, and I noticed this uh, last week, uh, you know, looking at the odds. Have you ever seen somebody, Detroit has better odds to win the NFC North than the Chicago Bears, but the Bears have better odds to win the NFC and the Super Bowl. Uh, That was
3: kind of weird. I've never seen that before. You know what? That can happen. That can happen. That can happen. And again, it's, we're talking about two teams that aren't going to win the NFC. Like they're not winning. They're not getting to the Super Bowl either these days, but that can happen. I mean, the Bears remember started shorter than the Lions in the division market and the Lions have been bet. People are not running to the window to bet the Lions to win the NFC title. They're going to the window to bet the division. So that's it more more than anything. The, the Dan Campbell is coach of the year is interesting. Drew Dinsick mentioned it earlier in the show. He got twenty to one. The market's now about fourteen to one on Campbell. The Lions make the playoffs. It's going to be very hard for anyone else to win that award. So if you think the Lions can make the playoffs, and heck, maybe even. Even 8-9 missing the playoffs with a loss late in the year could do it. Campbell to be coaching here, the year, I don't have a problem with that bet. If you're looking at props for Detroit, the flip side of all this, remember, is that if Jared Goff stinks, there isn't anyone behind him to bring in to start. They're not going to bench Jared Goff for Tim Boyle or David Blau. It's not going to happen. This sets up Detroit to pick up quarterback high next year. But if you look at the the Detroit props here, for the player props, Jared Goff 3,850 and a half passing yards. Feels maybe a tick high, but if Detroit is trailing games, he'll have an opportunity. Goff went way under that last year. Remember, he missed a few games due to injury, though. He had the thumb injury. 3,245 for Goff last year touchdowns 23 and a half. He had 19 with a few games missed last year. Keep in mind, Goff's only gone over that number twice in his career in LA. So maybe an under there, 11 and a half interceptions. That seems right. I wouldn't bother with that. The other prop ones are hard to bet. Deandre Swift. I'm not exactly sure what we're going to get out of him this year. He's clearly the number one running back. Even with Jamal Williams there. I don't want anything to do with Swift props. I don't want anything to do with Amon Ross and Brown props as well. Eden Hutchinson, seven and a quarter sacks is interesting. Because to me, the, the the defensive rookie of the year race, I want a guy who's going to rush the passer. I don't want a secondary guy. Even though it was very realistic that Sauce Gardner and Derek Stingley Jr. could end up being better defensive players than Hutchinson and Thibodeau, the two defensive linemen that are at the top of the board right now, it could be very hard for those guys to win.
4: I agree on that one. Yeah, because just you look really at hard what, to win. Why My, Micah Parsons
3: was able to win last year was his pass, pass rush rusher ability. It's just easier to win that award as a pass yeah. rusher. We'll get to the AFC West next week. There is one player that has been mentioned by others that could be worth a look down the board as a pass rusher. But he notched over seven and a quarter sacks. I do like that over. I do like that over because I think it's going to be him and Thibodeau. One, two in some order in the defensive rookie of the year race. And if he's in a race, Hutchinson, he's going to have to go over seven in a quarter. So that's the one I like the best of the player props. Division finish. Packers 1, Minnesota 2, Detroit 3, and the Bears last. That's all the time we have on the numbers game here. Lombardi
0: lines next here on Visa. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury.